Welcome to Cinema Rabbit Trails. Uh, this is Adam. I will be mediating tonight with these two guys. Go ahead and introduce yourselves. Jerry and David. So tonight we went ahead and watched a movie. So, m many of you may have heard of it, but it's called Road to Perdition. And uh, just a quick note on the, the setting and the plot here is we're in the Depression era of America, so it's about 1931. Um, we uh, are introduced to Michael Sr., who is an enforcer for a really powerful mobster. Um, Michael Sr. is played by Tom Hanks. Uh, the main mobster, who's his boss, is played by uh, Paul Newman. This is, uh, I think maybe this was his last performance. I'm not really sure. Mm. But uh, anyway, so anyway, so uh, he enforces, and in the meantime, they get in this tough situation where a mobster says a little more than he needs to. And so they, they try to take him out. And uh, in the process, uh, Connor, who is the main mobster's son, is really jealous of the way Michael Sr. and Mr. Rooney have bonded. And long story short, uh, Connor kills Michael Sr.'s family, except for Michael Jr., which is Michael Sr.'s son, obviously. Um, and... This sends Michael Sr. and Jr. on a, on the run, uh, eventually leading uh, Michael Sr. to come back to take his revenge on uh, Connor Rooney. So that's essentially where uh, that, that would be the plot, basically. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I just had a couple questions about the film. So, Well, maybe a couple is a little... <laughs> if you've listened to us at all, you know that it is not just a couple of questions. So. Uh, yeah, so first of all, it's called Road to Perdition, and perdition is defined as eternal punishment or damnation. And part of this comes from a discussion that Mr. Rooney and Michael Sr. had um, about their lives that they conducted. Uh, obviously, they killed, they have killed many, many people in their line of work. And my, Mr. Rooney's point was, nobody's going to heaven here. We're all going to hell. And uh, you see Michael Jr., who, who seems to be the wholesome, pure character in this film. So we open up and you see this immediate separation between uh, Senior and Junior um, uh, because Michael Senior is really quiet about his career life and he won't open up about it. Uh, so my first question to you guys with this is how much of their career life should a father share with families? I think with his wife should be more than anybody. I mean, with his sons, I think that could depend on like do you want to pass along this skill to your children? Uh, that kind of depends on maybe what you're doing. If it is more a family trade, is there an honor thing going on there? But, like, if you're an accountant, that's not probably something you want you tell your kids about all day. But in the relationship with your wife, you probably should share all the important details of your daily life so that she feels a part of it because she is a part of you. But as far as your sons, it just kind of depends on what you do. In line, in line with that, I would also say that whatever contributes, contributes you to be more present with your family. So if being an accountant, I doubt your son's going to hear all about, all about how you've been crunching those numbers all day. But, you know, if you're being present enough where it's like, hey, I'm doing all my work so I can be more fully present with my family, then maybe I don't mention anything about the work I do. Yeah. But I would say it's whatever being more present for your family means. Let your job fall into that. Yeah. And certainly let your uh, your wife and your children know that you are 
making sure your work is done or setting your work aside so that you are prioritizing time with them. Uh, unless maybe there's, it, it would cost you your job not to for, you know, a night here and there. But overall, you make sure that your, your children and your wife get the message that they are your priority, though you are providing for them. Mm-hmm. So That's good. And naturally, there's going to come uh, parts in your life throughout where that work-life balance is going to be imbalanced. You don't quite, you're not quite sure of... Uh, how to balance, how to teeter it, depending on which area becomes more demanding. So with that in mind, is a work-life imbalance, uh, is that a result of wrong focus, or is it a neglected priorities on your part? Someone once said, failure can be defined as being successful in the wrong things. Mm -hmm. So one of the responsibilities you are given by God is to be, you know, if you are a father and a husband, you are responsible for the well-being of your wife and also the upbringing of your children. And I've heard so many stories of men who were very successful careers, but um, there was no one there to greet them when they made you know, their million dollars because they had neglected that first priority. So it could be a combination of both, that we tend to get very distracted on things that we feel are important, but really... When it comes down to it, I don't know if we'll all admit it, but the the relationships that we have in our life are so vital, and then we have to work to make those work. And sometimes when those relationships aren't great, it's easy to invest in work because that might, makes us feel successful, powerful, mm-hmm. and I think that's what Michael Sr. was afraid of with his younger son was he didn't want Michael to be like him, and so he had this very distant relationship thinking, if I just back away, then he won't, I won't infect him with this, which is a, a sense of fear, but, um, it could be a combination. So, okay. Yeah. So kind of with what you're saying, you're like saying, so if you fail in one area, you're going to want to make it up for it in another. Well, you could be failing in one other, one area because you are investing in the other. So you could be investing in work. I mean, it, it's the, it's the very, I don't classy is not the classic is not the word, but I'm saying it's the sad, it's the sad reality that, I've heard fathers saying, like, I'm working all these hours for my family. It's so we can have this house. And all the while, they're missing their family. They're not there for their kid's birthday or the, the baseball game. And that's the hardship is the father The father might mean well. He really might mean well, like, I need to work 80 hours a week because we need to provide. I want to make sure we can go on this vacation. And, of course, he's frustrated with his wife because she's, like, you, you, she's always complaining, you're never home, you're never here to help out with the kids and whatnot. So she's frustrated because he's absent. He's frustrated because they're not appreciating what he's doing. And I think this is where we really have to evaluate what's, what does my family need? And just because I might be working, providing for them, am I actually providing my presence, which may be the most important thing of all. And so it's, I think, ask, it's really being present enough to be like, what's going on here? What does my wife need? What do my kids need? Yeah. And mm-hmm. what we put our focus in, I think, to touch on what you said, it is a combination of both in that maybe not a combination of both, but if you do, if you choose one of those, the other is going to follow suit. If you have the wrong focus, then you're neglecting your prior or you're, you're going to neglect your priorities. What should be your priorities. If you are starting to neglect your priorities, you're going to have a wrong focus on something. So it's, it's going to counterbalance. And the, I mean, the biggest thing is, uh, you know, the age old, proverb of you know those who look into the abyss understand the abyss will be staring back into you it's like it's it's true with our work it's true with our families it's true with our sins and our problems and that's why 
scripture tells us the, the good version of that, of lose your life for my sake, he who loses life for my sake, Christ, will find it because you are then committing all your priorities to him and mm-hmm. he speaks back into you, which is a lot more fulfilling and gives you the right view because God knows what's right, we don't. So we can pour our lives into our families, but there are still going to be problems because it's not a perfect unit. It's, there's you, Not sure. everything right deri- is derived from family. Mm-hmm. Uh, not everything right is derived from work. You can have good elements in both, but if you put all your focus into one, you're not going to get all the right stuff back. You put all your focus and your priorities into Christ, you'll get the right stuff back because Christ is perfect. And actually, that brings up a really great point. Now, now that I think about it, the balance can be one or the other. Like, you could put your work above all else, or you even could put your family above all else. And there's danger with both, because the movie shows, um, I forget who's the mobster, the, the dad? Mr. Rooney. Mr. Rooney, because he put Connor, his son, the only family he had left above all else, He's letting Connor steal from um, steal from the mob and having to blame other people, mm-hmm. which is why this whole movie took place in the first place. Mm-hmm. So really, um, something God's been convicting me of me lately is asking yourself, what's your idol? What are you putting before me? Because if you're pursuing me, you know, and as you're talking about, Jerry, losing your life for me, those priorities will be in balance because, you know, there's other priorities too. It's like, you know, how's your physical health? How's your mental health? How's your spiritual health? And then there's, there's your family. There's work. There's different parts of our lives we need a balance there. And when we focus solely on one, the others will naturally become out of balance. And all that to say is asking yourself, what are my priorities? Are those becoming idols? And then asking God, what needs to be, what's the healthy balance here? Yeah. Mm. Um, I know I tend to pull from the sermons that because we, we do this podcast on Sundays and so we get sermons in the morning and so I, I think this applies though. So do you mind if I read a quick scripture? Yeah, okay. Ahead. So uh, Isaiah forty eighteen through 20. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. And to break that down into layman's terms, um, why do you believe in an idol that you yourself have had to set up? How can you uplift an idol and then expect that idol to uplift you, whether it's work, family, anything else? The only idol worth serving is the one that you didn't put up or no one put up. Mm. You can't build your own idol and expect it to support you. And that's where we see this. I mean, they uh, both Michael Sr. and uh, Connor Rooney and even his son, they, they idolized something, and it did not support them. It ended up bringing themself, them down. Um, mm-hmm. Connor is the one who is really responsible for Michael Sr. becoming who he is in a lot of ways. And uh, he, he brought him into that mobster family. <laughs> And Mr. Rooney, you mean? Mr. Rooney, yeah. Sorry, sorry, Mr. Rooney. And Michael was the one who ended up killing him. And he worshipped him as a son, almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, not worshipped, sorry, but respected him as a son, and, you know, he worshipped his work. And it ended up being the thing that killed him. And really, same with Michael Sr. For, for a long time there, too. That's what kind of ended up killing him, even though it was kind of after him leaving the work. But mm-hmm. regardless of that, just goes to show that God truly is the only one worth serving because he's not someone anyone built up. He built himself. I mean, he, yeah, right. he's always existed, which is impossible for us to fathom, but yeah. Excellent point. Yes. So 
on the other side of the pond, so now we have <laughs> proverbial pond. <laughs> we oh, have the lake. You mean the lake of tradition, right? <laughs> now that we know a little more about Michael Senior, uh, with Michael Junior, we have a different perspective of a son that really doesn't know his father very well, but he also loves stories. We see him staying up at night reading The Lone Ranger and just immersing himself in his imagination and all of this. Uh, but you, you always see like a coldness between him and his father. Like even the first scene you see where he's going to get his dad for dinner, he's in the shadows, just watching his dad taking off his his gun, you know, taking it out of his, his uh, belt and all of that. And, and he's just kind of watching from a distance. And... Uh, mentions it for dinner and all of that and it's just met with kind of an indifferent response of thank you you know very formal uh and so in the in that case um just as we're getting to know a little more about michael senior's job of what he does and and the deadly the dangerous job he really does uh you see actual mike michael jr being really curious about uh, his father's lifestyle so just through what you you all saw with uh, their interaction did Michael have a secret admiration for his father? Did you guys see an admiration? Or maybe it was more obvious, maybe. I don't know if admiration is the right word, but he definitely had... I mean, he's he's a boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and boys tend to be both adventurous and tend to want to copy their dads. It's just a spiritual, biological component of being a young boy. And so I don't know if it was necessarily he had an admiration is necessarily the right word, because after the fact, he certainly didn't have admiration. Uh, after he realized what his dad did, it certainly was an admiration. So I don't know if early on I would say admiration was the key component. I think it's just a, a boyish longing to mimic his dad. Hmm. I would say it's curiosity is what I would say. Because you see Peter, his younger brother, asking him, what does dad do? And Michael's answering him, you know, with all these questions and Peter's just like you're just making that up and you can see this is causing a question in Michael's mind what does dad do for a living why does he have the gun Hmm. and I think he wants to believe that in the Lone Ranger his dad may be this hero of some sort but I think he's just curious and that's why he stows away and his curiosity is met by a very awful truth it's because he's clearly intelligent like Michael Jr. knows what's going on you know, so yeah, I do see that boyish uh, imitation or desire for imitation of his father, but I also see the curious yeah. side too of that. My question to you, though, David, to counter your point, mm-hmm. is if he w- if it was simply curiosity, why did he feel the need to make up a story about his dad to his brother? He told him like, yeah, even the president has called him on missions. That's not curiosity. That's lying over something because. Right. But that leads me to suspect he knows that what his dad does isn't may not be quite right. Right, I, and I agree with that. I think he knows something, something doesn't quite feel right. But I also think he wants it to be right. And then again, okay. also, is that know, admiration though? Not necessarily. Not I think he. It's, I think he's like you want. It's not. I admire my dad. It's like he. There's always this sense of we want peace. Well, it could be false admiration. It, well, I, I don't think it's admiration for his dad. I think he's wanting to know that everything's okay. But there's just something that just knows something's off, and it's scary. And it's it would be a nicer feeling to be like, okay, no, everything's okay, and Dad just does some, some kind of work here. But, yeah, um, that's, that's what I would say. Okay. Uh, so there comes a point where John Rooney and Michael Sr. are having a conversation. This is where we really get to see kind of the life in the mob of what's happening uh, behind the scenes. And... 
what happens after this basically is Michael Jr. sneaks into Michael Sr.'s car. Can I just say senior and junior from now on? There's just yeah. it's just too much to say. Okay. Too many syllables. Michael Senior. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Junior hides in Senior's car as Senior's going for a mission, um, and Junior witnesses a, a murder. Basically, he's looking through, watching what his dad's doing. His dad has no idea he's there, and uh, he sees a man get shot in the head. Very traumatic. And after all of that. Uh, Mr. Rooney's informed of the situation and what all happened. Um, and mind you, Connor was the one who shot the man in the head. Because Connor was also guilty. Yes. And that's why he, he took the action. And so Michael Sr. was just hang, having to follow suit. Mm. So there's a quote he says in there, though, because now they're suspecting there's trouble happening. But he says, uh, Mr. Rooney says to Michael, he says, sons were put on this earth to trouble their fathers. And so in this context, what do you think Mr. Rooney was really getting at? Sons are put on this earth to trouble their fathers. Mm-hmm. It almost sounds like they are retribution for the sins of their fathers because they will make the same mistakes. They will meddle in their father's business. And it's frustrating because it's like, I've, you know, it could be a number of things where I've lost a son. My son has, reminds me how much of a failure I am. He's becoming just like me. Um, and granted, look at, you know, Mr. Rooney's life. He's he has a very lonesome life, even though he's super powerful. The only family he has left is his younger, is his son. And this son, he is, he loves his son and he's also embarrassed by him and frustrated with him because because of him all this destruction is happening but he can't bring himself to reprimand his son or anything like that so I think he's also just reflecting on himself mm. that I'm angry because my son has caused so much pain but he's my son there's nothing I can do with it so I think that's also oh, that's just a failure on his part as a as a man that he hasn't disciplined his son and granted, he's not choosing the best lifestyle either, but yeah. he's not—he's not challenging his son. Because you see moments where Connor just breaks down like a little child when his dad's reprimanding him. Yeah, yeah. So it's really so you see it coming from a personal place of bitterness, maybe. Yes. Mm. Cynicism, all of that. Mm. Yeah, there's probably some cynicism in there, but I think uh, if you're trying to go after a deeper truth in that statement, um, when it comes to you know, sinful humans, sons tend to have the same sins as their fathers, and uh, w which then exposes the fathers' their t sin to themselves, hmm. uh, their own wrongs to themselves, which is a very terrifying thing, especially if it's undealt with in the in the father. And they're like, okay, now it's, it's as opposed to if you're a good dad, maybe you've already helped, you've already dealt with this in a lot of ways, or learned how to deal with it. And so you can then teach that to your son. If you haven't been necessarily the greatest father, you see it. You see the results of those sins, like, and you have not, like you said, you have not punished them. And so you see those sins completely untamed. And so it becomes a lot worse. Hence, like, you see like Mr. Rooney and Connor. Yeah. What were you going to say? I was going to say, it's almost like a mirror. Yeah. You don't want to deal with it, but now you're having to look at it. Yeah. But mm -hmm. now imagine you're now a really bad light shining that mirror that that mirror make, looks a lot brighter and casts it out a lot further than just you shooting at the mirror mm -hmm. that, that's a good way of putting it yeah it's a good one I like very it. good 
So anyway, we have a turning point in the film where uh, Michael Sr. is on a mission, and uh, this man, he gives, Michael Sr. gives this letter to this man, uh, supposedly saying what business that Mr. Rooney has with it, and uh, Michael Sr. hadn't even read the, the letter. Anyway, the, long story short, the man dies, Michael Sr. kills him, but he looks at the letter that was given to him, and it says, kill Sullivan and all debts are paid. Now, Sullivan is Michael Sullivan, I don't think I mentioned that, so Michael Sr. is Mr. Sullivan, and so somebody had written that note to kill him, to kill Michael Sr. Uh, and then suddenly Michael Sr. realizes his family is in danger. So he goes running home and finds out that Connor had actually killed his mother, or his, uh, his wife, and one of his sons. Um, and both, both uh, Michael Jr. and him find that out. So very, very traumatic um, you know, you have a family death. Now they're having to completely wipe this slate clean and escape, basically. And so, it, just with this issue of trauma and violence, my question was, does a real traumatizing experience of violence, uh, like abuse or murder even, deeply injure our sense of adventure and exploration? And I say that with a slight bend towards uh, Michael Jr., because uh, clearly he loves stories, you know. I think adventure. it widened his perspective on it because you kind of see him, you know, at first a gun was like the some uh, the weapon of a hero in his mind, and it now changes it to, oh, this could be used either way. <laughs> his dad uses it, well, now to protect him, and you see even Michael use it to protect himself, and but then at the same time the bad guys are still using him, so you kind of get a different pers. It, it, it widens your perspective, and. Uh, it can all the way up to absolutely distort it. So, like, if you're talking about abuse, if especially if it's sexual abuse at a young age, then sex, it's in and of itself, is not something that can. Uh, it's very, at least, very, very, very difficult to view it as a beneficial part of any sort of relationship. It then becomes something that is uh, basically a weapon. It is something that uh, actually will destroy. So it just it, it does alter the perspective. I don't know if it necessarily robs you of the sense of adventure. I mean, are you less likely to be adventurous? Maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but it def de depends on how you would even define adventure because at that I'd point, say your sense of wonder. Sense of wonder. Mm -hmm. I think it just overshadows it more than anything. I wouldn't say it robs you of it, because um, you you even I see... said injures really is so deeply injures. So not okay. necessarily completely kill it off or rob it, but okay. just yeah, okay. like deeply injure it kind of thing. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I would say it even injures that because you see people who go through traumatic, traumatic stuff that that trauma sparks them to do something else. Like you see people whose parents were killed by something like this, and even at the end of the movie when you see his dad die and he's holding him, it's just like you know, in my mind. The, the story of Michael Jr. could be that he then goes off to become a police officer, which is quite an adventurous mm -hmm. category of job, um, but it's sparked from this trauma. So it, I think it really just does vary. Um, and mm -hmm. it, you could even argue that the sense of wonder is still, is definitely still there, even if all you do is hide in the corner in your room, because then you're trying to search your mind for an answer. Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself would be a, an adventure and a wonder even though it is from an injured state and it is, you know, ter terrible to go through, but it is still a journey, an adventure, if you will. Hmm. Yeah. So anything on that, David? 
just so kind of in other words are you saying like we we probably don't ever lose that sense of wonder it just shows up in different ways even if it's just in our own mind we don't yeah and may I always bring joy in the sense that wonder is supposed to be wondrous but maybe not in this case maybe maybe it then becomes a journey not necessarily the word wonder anymore but hmm. good so over the course of the the film you do see a moments like a senior is shot in the arm at one point by an assassin somebody tracking him down and junior has to tend to him and um uh, so he's there with him in the moment and learning to care for his father like he never had before. But also through this, um, do you see the, the way Michael Jr. saw his father, did he see a broken father, like his own father being broken, or was it more of a father figure? Because he always saw that distance that they carried through the film. So is it more of like a like a, a idealistic kind of figure for him in his life, or was it more of just, I have my own father and he needs help. I would say it seems like he actually he saw his father and his father was starting to see him because he sees that his father is broken, but he actually now sees his father broken. Whereas just this is his dad that he would come and say, you know, hey, supper's ready, and he would just get this very cold response. And then he'd ask mom, hey, what does mom, what does dad do? And she would reply, he puts food on the table. That's all you need to worry about. But he gets to see his dad, and I think the older as the older we get, we do see how, um, and we saw this in the movie. As he's getting older, he sees like his the idea of his dad is being shattered. And there's moments in our life where those shattering things happen, whether it's a relationship or whether it's um, just you thought the way the world worked some way, and then something happens where you're just like, wow, this is not what I this is not the world I knew anymore. Um, He's seeing his dad now in a shattered light, but he's actually not seeing his dad. And as a result of them both being shattered, they're both able to come together and be, you know, father and son, because then he's they're relating like, you know, hey, you're doing math. I hated math. He's like, yeah, I, I hated math too. And you can see that they're actually starting to understand one another and relate to each other. So I definitely see there is somewhat of a redemptive quality in that, where it's like even in the brokenness, there is still opportunity to connect with people. And in fact, I think that's one of the greatest opportunities to connect with people is through our brokenness. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. Very much so. Anything on that? I mean, I think the, the shooting of his dad and of himself was... Uh, I, I don't know if it was necessarily such a deep moment for the child other than, oh, my dad's hurt. He, need, he, he just needs fixing. <laughs> that was, I think, I think that's pretty much basically it. Now, it did provide the means for them to both just like... Just to pause and actually, like you said, see each other. So from then on, I completely agree with you. I just yeah. think the, uh, the his dad being shot in the arm was nothing more than a plot device, and even his son, Michael Jr., helping him was simply a uh, just, I mean, it's a natural act. He's your dad. Fix him. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not sure about that. Of course, you know, I'm just the mediator, so I'm not going to talk about <laughs> I, I, I just got to say Jude Law... One, he's an incredible sharpshooter in this movie with that pistol. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's like two shots. They're just like, there's no way. They're like, he's Jude Law. Okay. <laughs> but like the quote, what do you, what would you say about the quote that he had on the porch of he dotes on you? You know, something that was truly out of genuine care, like junior to senior. Oh yeah, that at that time absolutely. But I'm saying just the fact of Michael Junior. 
taking care of his dad after being shot, as in, like, nursing him back to health, feeding him. Like, that's simply just a uh, a natural... Ob- as long as, you know, your father didn't abuse you or, you know, try to kill you or something, I don't know, but, um, I mean, that's just a natural a natural response. I don't, I don't think Michael understood what was happening in his own head. So I probably do agree with you more so, but I don't think Michael was at an age to understand that that's what was happening. Oh, no, he wasn't. So. But I'm saying it, it was happening, though. True. Like It's just saying because he took him to the house and you're starting to see that they're connecting and Senior is starting to, you know, talking about the the, the wife is telling Michael uh, Senior, like, you know, your father has, your son has these affections for you. And you see Michael's plowing the field and he waves at his dad. Like, I think Michael Jr. still had this idea of we're on an adventure here. Yeah. And he still had that heart of a child there and his dad was admiring that. And oh, yeah. so I'm not saying that Junior was like, great, now we have this opportunity to bond together. My plan is working. <laughs> no, no son and probably even no father plans on like, this is going to be, this is the yeah. bonding experience that's going to drive us. It was, it, it was the moment that yeah. it was allotted and that's how they connected. Yeah, mm. yeah, I would agree with you there. And I mean, there is something to be said about it. It took his son acting like a child. Uh, because at, before then it was kind of yeah there's a curiosity and everything but oh, the entire story is driven by Michael Jr.'s actions uh, both mm. his dad's emotional journey but also the interactions with the mob um, the entire plot of the story is driven by sons you have Connor Rooney who's the terrible son and then Michael mm. Jr. who's the learning but arguably pretty good son coming of age it's a good yeah coming of age yeah. and uh, it's strictly driven by both of their actions and the fathers simply have to react and That's one does poorly one does well and you see the consequence of childlike innocence and again in scripture you know those who humble themselves like a child before me will be glorified in heaven i think i'm i think i'm a little bit misquoting it but i'm i'm getting the idea across Did, Somebody quote me on that, but uh, <laughs> somebody find out what the exact verse is there. But, but that's that's the basic premise, and um, you you see the result of Michael Jr. in the fact that he he is a child. He automatically calls out his father to respond in kind and basically reward him with connecting with him. Now, mm. granted, Michael Sr. is a sinful man. We <laughs> see that in a lot of ways, but he makes a few good father calls here. And how much more than would a perfect father, like our Lord and Savior, how much more would he connect with us if we humble ourselves like children and just wave at him from the field that we're working on over mm. here? Just preparing our little fields over here, plowing away, just like, hey, Dad, <laughs> love you. <laughs> just like, I love you too. <laughs> I just want to make one interesting point. It's interesting. I, I would actually argue that Michael uh, Jr. is he's a he is a kid. He's a child, but I feel like he's he's maturing very quickly because he's he almost has to. He has to, but he's unlike um, uh, Connor Rooney, who's who is an adult. He acts like a child. The difference between these two sons is one is taking responsibility, the other is not. Connor is complaining because he's like, I'm the son. You know, I'm the son. I am the future, and this and that and the other. And he's taking people's money. He's not taking any responsibility for himself. And he wants all these things. He's wanting to kill Sullivan and his son because, hey, my life's in jeopardy now. Michael, on the other hand, he's you know doing everything his dad's telling him to. He's talking with his dad. And he's plowing the field and he's waving at his, his father. And I think that's a great lesson for us is you know, when we're going through hard times, hard situations, 
it's easy to complain. It's easy to want to just give up. But if we're going to be men, not just boys or males, but men, uh, men take action. Men take responsibility. They take ownership, good or bad. It's like, all right, this is my situation. I need to move forward and I need to do the best I can. And at some point, you're like, I have done the best I can. And I need to rest in God's grace that he's going to take the rest, take the consequence as they come. And just say, yeah, I've done everything I can. I'm going to enjoy being here in this moment. And I think that's why Michael could enjoy that is because mm. he's like, I'm doing the very best I can. And good or bad, better or worse, it's going, this is, this is all I have. So I've given my best shot. Mm. Anyways, that is dad. That's a good point. Yeah, and he, he also seems to, I mean, there's, there's a childlike honesty you see in them. Uh, in him a lot but his <laughs> don't you see doesn't it seem unusual how honest he is at times like just asking him direct questions <laughs> and it's like asking about the money but also asking about his work he's just very straight about it you know but you have to wonder it's so crazy that it, telling the truth is just so much fun it's like the truth is so outlandish i can't help but we're bank robbers Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. It's like, you have no idea how serious I am right now with this. He pulled a Jack Sparrow. Yes. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. You wouldn't even believe the truth even if I told it to you. Good point. There it is. Exactly. So near the end of the film, a lot happens in between. But we get to the Every objective. Every movie ever. We get to the objective of Senior killing Connor. And when Senior comes back from the murder... Uh, it's a very you get an interesting perspective is you have a wall the dividing wall of senior walking in from the murder and then uh junior sitting on his bed next to that now do you guys does it seem like that represents the separation of their lives and how differently they live no i think it's just a wall (laughs) (laughs) sorry to burst your bubble i was thinking about it before it's just like no i think that was just a cool shot i mean yeah it's 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 a father coming home to his son, and it and this means that business has been finished and they can go on to a new life. But I don't think the shot was so thought through to the point of this is going to make this amazing artistic statement. If it was, if they felt that that was like the defining statement of the film, I feel like they would have used that for the cover. <laughs> hmm. And instead, it's just the cover is just the picture of Tom Hanks either walking in the rain or just, you know, with his his face on the cover. Well, it's, it. it's called the road to perdition, not the wall of perdition, though. True. But they don't even show but the road. I would, dis- I would disagree, though, because nothing, if it's done well, nothing on a film is by accident. And this film, beautifully, the score is gorgeous, and there's sh- uh, their shots are just so well um the cinematography with the lighting and the way the camera movements even the depth of field is so artistically done um it's trying to say something even though nothing is spoken you can feel uh connor's jealousy and his bitter hatred towards um sullivan because he's his this father-like son relationship he has with his dad the mobster and so the wall you know like i i would agree it's not like this here's the defining moment right. but it is a moment where it does it can symbolize this idea of their separation and of course it's it's supposed to be subtle where you don't even notice it but you kind of feel it and so when the moment happens where they he sees him he hugs you're already feeling that and you sense that sense of connection there so mm. i would say it's Fair. not supposed to be significant but it is subtle and that's that's what film is supposed to be it's supposed to be telling you subtle narratives and so when things are spoken it's already you're already sensing what's yeah. happening. A good film, you can know the story without and the and the the sense and emotion of what's going on without needing to hear the dialogue. So. 
should, yeah. Yeah, that's this true. This film definitely does mm. that. It does. Uh, so near the end, then, they, uh, Junior and Senior, get to this beach house that they've been driving towards. They were uh, going to... Sh- they're going to Chicago. Perdition, it never really says where that That's was. That's where that it? house is. That's yeah, but it doesn't house. say where it was. Oh, okay. Who would name yeah. a beach house or a beach lake Perdition anyway? <laughs> That's a good question. It's the lake of fire. <laughs> Have you seen this? <laughs> Look at this beautiful damnation. <laughs> so, uh, and at the end there, you finally... I don't, I, don't, I don't think we explain. The word Perdition basically is synonymous with hell. Just yeah. so we all understand. Okay. Thank you. Yes, that's a good uh, reminder. Yes, the, the film is primarily like the characters are primarily Catholic, so we're talking about like purgatory and perdition, and so that's kind mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. the ideology that they're you know coming to mass to pray, and it's in it. And sorry, I didn't want to step step on your question, but I did want to. That was something interesting. Was um, we're believers though, but like in this context, like we come to God for prayer and repentance and asking God help me to you know. I messed up helping to move forward and help me ultimately what Christ came to do was I've come to give you life and give it more abundantly and free. And the problem with our sin is it keeps us captive to those idols we want to worship and we want to submit to, but we're slaves to it. And what's interesting is these people are coming to God, but there's no sense of redemption there. It's a sense of I'm coming to church and I'm praying just because it's what I'm expected to do, and almost out of the sense of, well, maybe if I just do this enough, then uh, my time in perdition and suffering will not be as bad as it ought to be. There's no sense of redemption that's coming, and that's why Michael Jr. was such a big figure. He's like, Michael could make it to heaven. He hasn't done enough bad things to where he's not going to suffer and die for it. So there's almost this sense of just keep going on. There's no hope. There's no redemption here, so just keep living your life and then try to pray enough and maybe God will not punish you as badly as you deserve. Maybe. Hmm. And uh, to that point about senior seeing the good in junior, you get to that end scene where they're at the beach house and the assassin's still alive and he tracks down senior and you see the shot of, of senior looking out the window at the beach and him being shot uh, by the assassin. Uh, eventually junior comes back in and sees his father wounded and he has he pulls a gun on the assassin. However, um, he can't pull the trigger. So why do why why couldn't he pull the trigger? I think first just because am I actually going to kill like kill another man? Number one, and then what really keeps him from actually pulling it is his dad saying no, <laughs> this isn't for you to do. Hmm. This is not. I don't want you to turn into me. But is but it's from his perspective. Like I understand from Senior's perspective, but Junior, right? Exactly, because Junior doesn't pull the trigger because his dad is saying that don't, because he's nodding his he's shaking his head. Don't do it. Don't pull the trigger. I see. Okay. Well, he, and I think that's the point is he's not his dad, and I think that's what Senior was terrified of. He's like, I don't want him to be like me. And even after all this, he gives him the gun, uh, and the um, one of the earlier scenes in the movie. And it's, and it's interesting, as soon as he comes back, he's like, give me the gun. Kind of like, great, you didn't make that choice, because as soon as you pull that trigger, there's no turning back. So what could be perceived as weakness, that I couldn't have killed this man, I think is his dad saying this is a great victory, because he's like, you're not me. You can make good choices still, and you don't have to, you don't have bad choices that are going to weigh you down for the rest of your life. Hmm. So he's not his dad, and I think he didn't want to be his dad, but he wanted to love his dad and connect with his dad, so... Yeah, 
that's right. And so clearly his actions caught up with him, with Senior. Um, but at the end of that, do you, as, as far as our mistakes and them catching up with us, uh, do we all pay for our mistakes, whether now or later, for all our mistakes? Unless you're a believer. Right, and that's why I didn't say sins or anything like okay, that, because I knew okay. we would go there. I'm talking about actual, like, you made a mistake, and you're going to pay for it later. Um, I believe all wrongdoing has consequences, and that could be on, um, that, that very well could be on somebody else. It may not have an immediate effect on you, but it might have an effect on someone you love, and you see that mm. in this case in point, where Michael Sr.'s actions and wrongdoings do affect his son. Just the, the first, the the first uh twist in the film that actually sets them off to have to run away is his dad actually being involved with mobsters and having to kill some men or not having to but ending up killing some guys um yeah that's that's wrong but you and you see the traumatizing effect it has on his son it then has other consequences because there are other evildoers who have wrong views and the consequences of that eventually lead to through other means as well lead to connor killing his wife and, and his other son peter and then they have to go on the run and eventually it ends up being his wrongdoing does end up affecting him and that it kills him that is then what the result is so yes wrongdoing it does have consequences does it always directly is there a perfect system of you do this something equivalent then gets done to you no, that's that's equivalent exchange. Yeah, no, we don't work, we don't operate on uh, the rules of alchemy here in equivalent exchange. So, but um, but yes, there are consequences to our actions, uh, and if we're talking in a biblical sense of sin and uh, and believers here, again, I think that's we do have the joyful. Uh, uh, what what am I trying to say? We have the joy of saying that, uh, you know, I don't believe the Lord punishes us for our sin, though our sin does have consequences in that they have a uh, cause and effect uh, similarity there. But beyond that, um, it's just a matter of it. The, the actual punishment would be the pain that it causes us and it causes our Lord. Well, so if we're, going, if we're going to that topic. Hebrews but, talks right. about how he disciplines us to share in his holiness. Discipline is different than straight no, punishment. No, but I'm saying like that is part of you know the, yeah. the consequences. It's like a merciful rod. Yeah, you know. But yeah, that's good, and we can go on to that topic. But I want to make sure we're we're just going to close here with one more question, and then uh, and then we'll do any closing statements you guys would like to do. Closing so, statements. He said uh, the last few lines of the of the film is Michael talking after all the experiences of what happened and. He says, you know, people ask me who my father was, whether he was a good man or no good at all. And I just give them one answer. He was my father. So where, did that seem to draw the line anywhere? Did you, what, where did you get, what impression did you get from that? He could just be like, it's too long to explain. He was my father. <laughs> That's what he was just fed up with it. Yeah. It could just be something as simple of, he wasn't perfect, but he was my father. Hmm. And that's the thing. We all have to look at our, our our own fathers and realize that, you know, my dad's not perfect. And, yeah, I wish he would have done this differently. I wish I would have had this when I was younger. But he was my father. And there's going to be choices that I'm going to make when I become a dad 
that I wish I could have done better. I wish it would have been a better man, a stronger man. But it's what can I what can I give to my son now? And realizing that my dad did the best that best he could. And yeah, he could have maybe done better, but it's like but it's what he did. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing. It's like we're not given the perfect father, but we are given a father. Uh, if we are so fortunate to even have a father, even if the one is just not a good man, it's like this is my father. What do you do with that? You know, um, and that's what's hard is we don't. We, we've talked about this before in other podcasts, but having good father figures in our lives is so important because, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's now growing up without his dad. How does he? Because you look at senior. There's times when I wanted, if I was in his shoes, I wanted to hug Junior. It's like you need to talk about, hey, what's on your mind? How are you feeling? What's going? He didn't know how to do that, so he was his father. And our fathers aren't perfect, but they are our fathers, and we need to be learn from our fathers so we can be better men and better fathers. Okay. Anything on any parting thoughts for, or I guess, the answer to this question? Any thoughts on this quote? Um, just for fun, because it had been a while since I'd seen the movie, I watched the trailer before actually we watched the movie to talk about it. And it did have a message that, um, it actually said the words, building the sentence throughout the trailer. It was talking about, uh, uh, every son thinks his father is a hero or every father is a hero to his son. I think were the exact words, um. so I think the mentality of the film and the message they were trying to make is simply uh, similar to what you were saying. But it, there, it was simply just to actually build towards that statement and give it the value and the actual uh, bigger picture mentality uh, after seeing the film when it comes to sons and especially fathers watching this film is saying, hey, men, man up. If you have, if you have sons... Um, you are affecting them in much larger ways, both good and bad. You need to be aware of this. Mm-hmm. You are their fathers, and they will imitate you. They will look up to you, um, and you are responsible for uh, for for just edifying them and growing them into good men. You are responsible for that. Don't take it lightly. Mm. That's great. Good. Okay. Well, guys, any any other closing statements? Okay. Way to go, Thomas Newman. Great soundtrack. <laughs> Fantastic. Yes, the music was was excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, so go. I encourage you all to see this film. It is uh, rated R, so there is some sensitive material in there. It isn't overly bloody, but there I think there is enough to make an impression. It's realistic. I'd say it's it realistic is realistic, thing. and also just y- you don't see the family's death directly. But it does make quite an impression, I think, just what happened. So uh, just be aware of that when you're deciding to view that with your family. But thank you guys for listening. Uh, This has been Adam. Jerry. And David. And you all have a blessed evening. (laughs) 